Hi, everyone. My name is Alicia Webb. I'm a self-proclaimed news junkie. I love telling stories, and I love helping other people tell their unique story. This podcast is a chance to hear from people who have pivoted in their lives and careers, taken that leap, struck out in a bold new direction, and never looked back. This is The Power of the Pivot. Erica Halthausen is the founder of Catchline Communications and a strategic thought partner to consultants who wish to build their authority and increase their visibility by publishing articles in industry trade journals. A writer and freelance editor, Erica started her career as a litigation attorney in Boston. She credits her legal training at the University of Virginia School of Law with teaching her to use persuasive writing techniques, ask the right questions, and communicate complex ideas with power and clarity. Hi, Erica. How are you? Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Alicia. It's so good to be here. I love our conversations. Thank you. So I want to start by you kind of just talking about your career progression so far. You have made multiple pivots. Talk about (laughs) your trajectory up to this point and kind of what got you to this place. Yeah. So, you know, I started my career as an attorney and I knew from the time I was probably in middle school that I wanted to go to law school. I was going to save the world as you do and (laughs) quickly got the reality check of, oh, this is a lot more paperwork and a lot more a lot more stuff that didn't feel nearly as fulfilling. I was working with for a large firm in Boston and I just realized that this was not the right move. So I had never quit a job in my life before then. It was always like, okay, I can work until such and such a time. And then I'm going back to school or, you know, whatever is happening and ended up leaving the law firm and joined what was called the Audubon Expedition Institute. Uh, my roommate at the time. What is that? <laughs> yeah. My roommate at the time worked for Leslie College, Leslie University, and jokingly brought home a pamphlet about this environmental studies program where you live in a big yellow school bus and you study the environment. And she was like, well, you could always do this. And without telling anyone, I applied. And then to my shock, I got in and then I had to make a decision because it was sort of all this theoretical thing. And finally, I decided, okay, being in the law is not what is working for me. I had some great conversations with a couple of attorneys, and that actually helped me make this decision. So even while I was in law school, I had a mentor who was a prosecutor, and I was doing a prosecution clinic. And midway through the year, he told me that his father had passed away and his father's last words to him were apologies for not spending more time with him when he was growing up. So the attorney who I was working with and I thought the world of said he was stepping down and he was not going to practice as a prosecutor any longer. And that got the wheels turning at first. And then at the law firm, I had a partner who we ended up on a case and had to go to New York for a couple of months at like for a long period of time. I think it was it was like 10 weeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Very last minute. And this he was a young partner and his we were in the cab in New York City and he's on the phone with his wife and his baby daughter had just taken her first steps. Oh, and he missed it. And he missed it. And he was going to be in New York at the time. We didn't know how long. We just knew we were going to be there for quite a while. 
So it was one of those eye-opening experiences for me that was, okay, if the practice that I'm in, I was in securities litigation, Mm -hmm. if the practice itself is not fully fulfilling me and I'm seeing the realities of how this works, maybe this wasn't the right place for me. So I didn't really pivot. I kind of just jumped out of the plane. So, <laughs> Which is a form of pivoting. You just, you were more dramatic about it than most, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, which you'll see is is a bit of a theme. So jumped out of the plane by, by joining this Audubon Expedition Institute and studied the environment, lived in a tent, got rid of everything I owned from my attorney days and literally lived in a tent and on a big yellow school bus and was in Colorado with a bunch of students ranging in age from, I think the youngest was 18, the oldest was 54. And that was my master reset, was just sleeping under the stars, seeing things I had never seen before, being someplace I had never been before, having experiences that were incredibly new, because I had to figure out what should you do when the thing that you have always wanted to do isn't. So that was my first sort of major, major pivot. And in all honesty, it took a long time to sort of figure out what was next because I didn't know what life after law should look like for me. I knew that before I went to law school, I loved research. But in the Boston area, there are thousands of well, it's, <laughs> there, it's like there's so students. much in Boston, all the all these universities, you know, yeah. so many doctors. There's a lot in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. Which also means there's a lot of very cheap, smart labor because <laughs> you can pay a grad student in noodles and, <laughs> and they'll be happy <laughs> they with it. For, right. Well, they won't be thrilled, but like they'll do it. And because of the experience. So so that became challenging. And then I just kept looking for what was right. And I ended up in the nonprofit sector working as the director of marketing and development for a startup arts organization. I knew nothing about fundraising, nothing about marketing, but my boss at the time was like, well, you were an attorney, you can figure it out. And I ended up with some great mentors who helped me in both of those different areas. So The nonprofit was working with a consultant for the fundraising side. So I learned a tremendous amount from her, ultimately went to work for her. And there was a a board member who was a marketing expert and she took me under her wing and I learned a ton about marketing from her. So that pivot ended up into the nonprofit sector for a while, first as an employee, then later as a consultant when I worked with the consultant who had been my mentor at that first job. And then later again, back with a nonprofit organization. This is this is fascinating because I, I know you like to call yourself a recovering attorney and you're doing something even more <laughs> different now, but talk about what you mean by recovering attorney and do you still use those skills? And then let's jump forward to what you're doing now because you also spent time yeah. as a copywriter. Like you've had, you're like a cat. You've had many lives. Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there is a red thread that I can see now, but I certainly couldn't see it at the time. Right. So the the term for me, recovering attorney is like, once you're an attorney, you're kind of always an attorney. Going through law school teaches you a way to think that's just a little bit different. It, it really teaches you how to do exceptional research, how to think really deeply about a topic, how to see it from several different angles at once. What it also teaches you, which is not great, is how to be a really terrible writer. So 
<laughs> law, law firms and lawyers are not known for their writing skills because there's a lot of legalese that's thrown in there that is on the decline, thankfully. But that was one of the things I had to unlearn. So I still use all of those skills today because writing, to be a good writer, you have to be a good thinker. It's never about the ink. It's about the think. So you have to think deeply about your your topic. Writing helps for me, especially because that's I am a writer and that's sort of how I've always processed information is through writing. It just helps you get deeper and deeper and deeper into understanding the topic. And I credit the law with really helping me learn how to research from multiple angles and start poking holes in my own thought process so that I can get it deeper. And I'm sure people ask you all the time, but would you ever go back to practicing? Do you feel like that's something you would ever do? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, I have been fortunate to know some attorneys who are just absolutely exceptional attorneys, and it's something that they are both good at and that they love. I never, so much of being an attorney is the paperwork and there's one instance that I would pass that I would consider going back to, to being an attorney. If I worked for the Southern Poverty Law Center and they were in New England instead of down South, because I'm a New England gal, this is my home. And they do some amazing work. They do a lot of Supreme Court cases. So if I could be writing the amicus briefs, which are the friends of the court briefs, mm-hmm. If I could just do that and not have to deal with opposing counsel or clients, that would be amazing. So, but you do have to deal with opposing counsel and clients. So that's probably not going to happen. Right. Well, let's let's fast forward a little bit to what you're doing now. You have since shifted again. You were a copywriter. Mm-hmm. Now you own your own communications business. Talk about what led you to entrepreneurship and how do you get there from going working in nonprofit, sleeping under the stars? It's it's yeah. such a it's such a cool path. <laughs> it's a cool path in retrospect, and I can say it's a cool path too. When I was going through it, it felt like a very, very hard path. But basically, I ended up, you know, the first time that I started my own business. This is this is my second time on my own in this way. I had gone from the nonprofit sector and I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to consulting, but on my own doing the things that I really enjoy, which has been grant writing. It's been, you know, some of the strategy stuff, helping nonprofits with marketing. And it was there that a friend of mine who had a for-profit company was like, I need some help coming up with a marketing plan that's sustainable. And I was like, Ooh, cool. And, and so that was, that was that pivot. And that got me into, you know, more of the marketing and the content marketing and the strategy and all of that kind of stuff. I did that for seven years and then ended up working for an ad agency. And because of my writing background, I was the content marketer and copywriter. And when I left that, primarily because honestly, I have a hard time with advertising. (laughs) I, I don't really like we were responsible for those ads that chase you around the Internet. And there were some philosophical differences between me and the woman I was working for. And I didn't want, I didn't want to be in advertising. I don't, I'm not a big fan of, okay, let's see how we can convince somebody to buy more stuff that they don't need. And there's a good bit of that in advertising. You try to see the good in the world and that's, that's commendable. (laughs) So it's also gotten me in trouble, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
so I left and started my own company and originally thought I was going to do content marketing because I had a background in that and was working with a coach and ended up saying, oh my God, I'm so over marketing. And he was like, well, that's a problem if you're starting a content marketing firm. And we ended up talking about a client I had worked with years ago. And because I've also, so on the side of all of this, for the last 10 to 15 years, I've been a freelance writer and editor with magazines. So that had always gone along on the side, but I never saw it as something other than something I did on the side. And when I was working with my coach and told him about a client that I had helped a friend who is another editor had said, oh, we're looking for writers for this trade journal for environmental health and safety. I had a client who was an environmental health and safety consultant. And I was like, you should do this. And I loved everything about that project. So when I told my coach about that, he was like, well, why don't you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And it took me a minute to realize what the heck he was talking about because I was like, well, why don't I do that? It's funny. Sometimes things are right in front of you. You just can't see them. I think my hunch is that that happens more often than we know. I would agree. I can lose not just the forest for the trees, but the trees for the bark. And suddenly I'm like this. And it's just like, I'm I'm right up against it. I think so many of us are guilty of that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it takes that third perspective, that third party to be able to say, hey, maybe if you back up and it's like, oh, wow, this is a tree. (laughs) (laughs) So tell me this, is your career, does this look anything like what you thought when you were younger? You know, you you just, you know, talk about that and how that's (laughs) kind of how it shaped you, you know? Yeah. You know, so I've always written, but I've always written for myself. That's just the way that I process information is is through writing. So it now makes sense in retrospect, but I never considered myself a writer. I just journaled and jotted stuff down and I didn't even journal chronologically. Like I, w- I am not a neat journaler. Like a couple of things go in this journal, a couple of things are in that notebook. Like it's all over the place. So, you know, from the time I was in middle school, I wanted to be an attorney. That was what I envisioned for my life. That's what I envisioned for my career. I thought I was going to become an attorney and I was going to always be an attorney, maybe at some point be a judge, but I never expected to to leave that field. I thought that that was my thing. So transitioning away from something that you think is your thing, that was scary. And it was really hard because I had no idea what my next thing could be because all of my envisioning was around this thing. And and a lot of, you know, a lot of my imagined what it's like to be an attorney, not accurate. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, you can't totally blame the law for that. You can blame media for quite a bit of it. But if you had told me even, heck, even five years ago, if you had told me that I could do what I am doing now, I would have been like, there's no way. I would not have believed you. Fascinating. So you talked about the fact that you had your own coach. When people come to you and say, hey, Erica, how did you pivot? How did you do this? When they ask you for advice, what do you say? Because everyone's experience is going to be different. I've moved a lot in my career too. And it's you know not been, I've had a lot of moves, not quite as dramatic as you, Everyone has their own story. How do you tell people to take that leap? Or in your case, you said you jumped out of a plane. 
I generally don't recommend doing these changes <laughs> the way I have because with every major change, I didn't have the next thing fully set up. I just knew this is no longer a fit. And once I get to a place, especially with, with a more traditional job that I'm bored, nobody should have me around. I'm, I'm not good. And I know this about myself and I wish it were different, but I'm not good for me. I'm not good for, because I become a social scientist. If I'm bored, I'm like, what happens if I stir the pot over here? Like it's a bad scene. So what I've often ended up doing is just making the leap, but there was nothing to leap to. And, and it's the whole idea of, you know, leap and the net will appear. Well, sometimes, but you also have the option if you are hardwired this way to start creating the net before you leap. So that's never something I've done, but it's something that if I could do it and, and if folks can do it that way, it adds a lot more stability. It's less risk. It's less sheer terror. There are lots of different ways to do it. And the way that I did it is not generally one that I would recommend. Well, you, you, you mentioned boredom and that's something I can certainly identify with. And I think a lot of people can more than they're willing to admit. Mm-hmm. How do we tell people it's okay if you're someone who gets bored doing the same thing for too long? Because I think that there's a stigma attached to it. If you're, you know, I've seen that. I've had recruiters say things to me like, well, you were only in this job for a year. What happened? And truthfully, it's been because I was bored in the role and I needed to do something else. And people look at me kind of crazy. How do we how do we break that stigma so people don't feel bad about themselves that they have moved on and made changes? I think it's one of those like... If I am not growing and changing, just cue the Mack truck and take me <laughs> up. Because I love that. Like, why? Why? Like, what's the point? That's. I think we are all we are all hardwired differently, and there are some folks who know what they want to do early, and they're right about it, and they do it, and that's where they stay, and they grow, and they love what they do. There are other folks who have a lot of different interests. So you kind of have to follow your curiosity. And there is, there's no one right way to do this, but the more you know yourself, and if, if your work is starting to make you sick, go. It's time for a change, right? Find a way to change, whether it's going to another, another job, whether it's starting your own thing, like find a way to make the change so so that because your health isn't worth it and your whether it's mental health or physical health or a combination of both because they usually show up and do like the one two punch mm-hmm. do what you need to do to take care of yourself to take care of your loved ones i am single so i don't have to check in with somebody else i don't have kids so i didn't have to have that additional sense of stability for my children. I could take more risks because it's me and my cat. So knowing, you know, everybody's situation is different and figuring out, okay, what can I do and what can I tolerate? Because maybe you need to stay in the job that you're in for a couple more months so that you can put some pieces in place, but maybe you don't. So, so looking at all of those different options and recruiting the friends of yours who you know, if you're thinking of going into business for yourself, making friends, finding friends who are also entrepreneurs, because it's a different, different world. 
my cousin is one of my dearest friends in the world, but she's one of those folks who she knew she wanted to become a school psychologist. She became a school psychologist. She's still there and she's grown in her career and she loves it, but she has really only worked for one place in her entire career. That's not, that would work not for you. Me. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, and she can kind of like, she supports me, but she can't fully understand it. But I talk to other entrepreneurs and then you can talk about the hard stuff. You can talk about the easier stuff. You can talk about the things that make it great. You can talk about the things that make you like really wish that maybe I can just be a crossing guard. <laughs> so, because we've all had those like random things where it's like, I just want to do something that I have to do the job for a couple of hours and then I'm done. I don't have to think about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's part of the issue with a lot of this is, you know, you're labeled if you, if you take a different path or yeah. if you're doing something different from, from everyone around you with people who have the same degree as you. Yeah. And I think we need to do a better job of embracing people who, who are willing to make changes. A hundred percent. And regardless of what those changes look like, because if, if, so it's about what you want to do, but also if you have the privilege of being able to do it. And if what you really want to do is you want to work part-time as a crossing guard, great. Like, and they need people it. like that, like, right? Like there's, there's yeah. a need for so much. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, there are those stories of, of, like I'm going to stay on the crossing guard thing because apparently it's stuck in my brain, but there are those stories in those pictures. And it's like, there's a crossing guard who's got just a ton of personality and the kids love him. And, you know, so it doesn't matter what it is that you do, as long as whatever you are doing is nourishing you and is providing what you need. That's, that's great advice. Now, what has been some of the biggest learning for you in your path, you know, going from attorney to copywriter to now having a communications business. And I know that you are actively writing a novel. What have been some of the, the biggest <laughs> things you've learned about yourself, about the world? I think, you know, one of them is follow your curiosity. I, I think that's probably the number one lesson for me has been the more I follow my curiosity and and treat everything like an experiment. There's this, this great saying, fail does not mean what we think it means. It's first attempt in learning. So go ahead and fail because you're going to learn from it and you're going to go, huh, that didn't work. And then you can try something different. And the more that you follow your curiosity, that, that was how I got here, was really following my curiosity and the opportunities that came up and being like, that doesn't quite resonate with me. That doesn't quite work for me. That's not quite aligned with the way I like to show up in this world. And it was a series of stumbling into things <laughs> really that got me to where I was, but I was, I had the curiosity to say, yeah, I'll pursue that. Let's see what happens. And suddenly the thing that I always saw as a thing on the side is the foundation of the work that I do now. That's great. And what would you tell the 25 year old version of yourself? I think we all look back and, you know, we have, when we graduate college, it's like, I'm going to do this. By the time I'm 30, I'm going to do this. And we have these plans mapped out. And for very few people like your cousin, it may happen. Right. But what, do, what would you say to yourself when you were 25 years old, knowing what you know now? Yeah, I think I would say, be more gentle with yourself. It's okay that you don't have all of the things figured out. Most people don't, even those who look like they do. Right. Don't. They're probably faking it too. <laughs> um, 
yeah, yeah. And keep exploring and don't be afraid to try something that intrigues you. I am fairly convinced that I would have greater regrets over not trying something than trying something. If it was intriguing to me, I would regret not trying it more than, than actually trying it. So try it. And worst case, you fall on your face. Who cares? Pick yourself up. You're good. I love that. And then one last question. Um, what is next for you? I mean, are you going to pivot and shift and do something again? Or what, what do you feel like the next <laughs> few years looks like for you in, in terms of your career journey? Yeah. You know, right now, I think having your own business allows you to make multiple little pivots within a bigger umbrella. And my hope, though, who knows, like something could happen and I jump out of this plane too. But my hope is that because I'm learning so much with my, with my business and, you know, I recently pivoted from working only one-on-one with people to starting a couple of group cohort programs so that's a huge pivot. Now I'm learning how to how to market when it's a group program instead of marketing when it's one-on-one work. And there are lots of different places that this could go. So I think my hope is that there will continue to be a ton of evolution, but maybe not so many dramatic pivots. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with pivoting. We just want everybody to know that. <laughs> right. There, there is nothing wrong with pivoting. And, and those are, so the evolution can be a pivot as well. But I'm, I am hoping for me, I'm 47 now, and I'm hoping that it's like, okay, this is my home base. Because if it's really big pivots can be, they can feel very shaky. They can feel very uncertain. And I've done a lot of that. And I am grateful for every single one because I've learned so much. But I'm hoping that this is sort of the big home for a while and the pivots will will not be like, they'll like stable. These, they'll be more stable pivots. Right. They'll they'll just be a little bit more like, oh, oh, let's try this. This is. Yeah, that's brilliant. Erica, thank you so much. This has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. It is absolutely been my pleasure, Alicia. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Power of the Pivot. My name is Alicia Webb. If you have a story idea or a guest idea or just some feedback, you can reach me at brightspotpr.com. I look forward to bringing you the next conversation.